I was reminded this week of a line from Shakespeare's play, Troilus and Cressida, where Ulysses delivers a monologue at the end of act one, crying out, untune that string and hark what discord follows. A week ago, Monday, I was in it. I mean, really in it. The kind of in it when you're walking around your house, talking out loud to people who aren't there. It's the same message over and over again. And it appears in a variety of textures. My particular voice is anger. Yours might be shame or blame, but mine is anger. That is, when I'm living in fear, it manifests in the world as anger. And it's not hard to find people to get angry at. When I'm living in the world of separation, when I'm feeling the walls of isolation rise up around me, it's so easy to see where I am right and others are wrong. And soon I'm storming around my apartment, recycling the same angry story until my body feels sick. I've done enough meditation and prayer at this point in my life that I can now see the appearance of this anger as evidence of fear. When I'm storming around my house, talking to people who aren't there, I know that I am afraid of something, which is precious wisdom because now I can begin the path out of suffering. For me, the path is contemplative and involves two steps one right after the other. First, I ask the Holy for help and to be my partner. Having a companion aids the slow creep out of isolation and into intimacy. Then, with a courage that comes from being not so alone in the process, I begin to explore the fear by asking, what am I afraid of losing? What do I think I'm not going to get? Gently and with compassion, I peel away the layers of myself, layers I think are so real, so fixed, so calcified, and I start to see that they are not so rigid. They only appear that way because I believe I must play defense. I ask to become like water, and to dissolve my rigidity, my walls of separation, and I find myself held in the holy once more. I repeat these steps, asking for help, and then investigating with courage, following my breath in and out, in and out, in and out. Present the intimacy of this moment. And out of the shadows, the fear begins to appear slowly, quietly. At first, my mind reacts instinctually and I begin to fight once more. My mind loves a good hook to get caught on. But soon I catch myself and I return to the path by following my breath. Like a passenger in a slow-moving car, 
I see all of the positioning, opinions, beliefs, and posturing pass outside my window like spectators in a crowd. I follow the breath in and out, in and out, until I come to the untuned string, the one I untuned, not intentionally, just habitually. And I see the discord it created, the cacophony in my mind. And sometimes if I didn't catch it soon enough, the cacophony and discord it created in my relationships. I can see the fear and the grasping it caused. I grieve for a moment and I release the fear back into the crowd. Feeling fear is not unreasonable. Last Monday night, I was experiencing loss. Something was ending and I didn't want it to end. I wanted it to stay, but it couldn't stay. It's not unreasonable to feel fear when something is ending, when you are losing something. It only becomes unreasonable when the fear becomes your master, when we are unconscious, when we move through the world seemingly full of purpose but scattered in every direction, perhaps blazing with both guns. We cannot see the true source of our suffering. It controls us from beyond the shadows. We are in the service of something we cannot see, but very often we pick other things to focus on because they appear as visible. In my case, I got mad at people for behaving in ways I didn't want them to. But they were not the actual source of my suffering, just evidence of it. It was only through contemplative investigation, asking for help and then inquiring with courage, that I was able to explore each of my angry thoughts and eliminate them one by one as the source of my suffering. When these boring and recycling, recycled frustrations were empty, I could go down another layer, following the breath in and out. And there it lay, the grasping at the loss. I wasn't frustrated or even that surprised. It felt true as soon as I saw it and I was relieved. I had found the untuned string. I acknowledged that I felt sad, but all things also come to an end. This one before I wanted it to, but you don't get to choose the events of your life, just how you respond to them. I lay my sorrow on the ground and said goodbye and followed my breath back to the surface. The whole process took about 60 minutes, and I didn't go to bed joyful, but I wasn't angry either. And when I awoke in the morning, I didn't feel heavy. The loss had been released. There have been a few twinges of grasping since Monday, but there has been no discord created by an unacknowledged, untuned string.
This meditation was delivered live at the Seeker's Table Sunday Gathering held at 6 p.m. Eastern. Anyone can participate in the Sunday Gathering, and it's an excellent time to ask questions about your spiritual journey and to meet other seekers on the path. If you'd like to join us, simply type join.theseekerstable.com into your browser and you'll be redirected to the Zoom room where we meet every Sunday at 6 p.m. Sometimes the spiritual path can feel a little overwhelming or confusing, and this can keep people from starting. If you would like some support and guidance, I have a free five-day class called How to Add Meaning to Your Life, which can be found on the homepage of theseekerstable.com. But the very best thing you can do is just come on Sundays and participate. It seems antithetical, but if you want to stay committed to your own journey, the easiest way is to help others with theirs. And you can do this just by showing up. So come and take a seat at the Seekers Table, and we'll all walk this journey together.